Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 456 for Tuesday, the 14th of June, 2016. It's so nice to see you. I'm Robbie Ferguson, your host, and I'd ask that you please help me welcome my co-host tonight, Jammin' Jeff Weston. Oh my goodness. Really? Really? You had to pull that one out? Had to be done. Oh, we'll look for I the old mixtapes. I'm wearing my shirt from the 70s, so we might as well go back. I have not pulled that name since I got it off my license plate. <laughs> you actually had vanity plates. I forgot about that. I d- well, it was a Christmas present from my parents. They were excited when I... Bless them. That, yeah. was, that was actually a really awesome thing. Back. It, oh, it we're already fun. reminiscing, Jeff. We're already oh reminiscing. We haven't even started. What are we doing? This week? Well, tonight, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun. Last week, we started looking at LVM, and yes. that is the Logical Volume Management in Linux. And why does it matter? Well, it allows you to make backups on the fly without having to shut everything down. That is going to work really, really well for you in a server-based environment. But also, it's a great way to do backups on your home systems. So we're going to be learning how to take our existing LVM setup. Mm-hmm. So our last week, we set up Ubuntu Mate with an LVM partition table. And so we're going to learn how to now give ourselves a little bit of extra space by resizing that LVM so that we can create LVM snapshots. And we're going to learn what all that means. We're going to try to keep it simple enough, but it is very geeky. So, you know, if it's uh, if it's complicated, feel free to send in your questions. Get in the chat room, Category 5 on Freenode. Uh, but uh, we'll tell you all about it uh, coming up shortly in the show. And I will not glaze over do your best. <laughs> that was, that was and fun I last week best. watching. <laughs> Poor Kelsey. I'm sitting there in the newsroom watching and the eyes just... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is great. And 90% of the viewing audience, same thing. <laughs> but you know what? It's got a, a great response and I think it's important that we get into some of those more technical things. Because Absolutely. Once we know these things, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really helpful. And really, that's kind of the stuff that the show was founded upon. That's so it's true. good to go back to it. It's true. Back at our roots, folks. We're going back in time. Woot woot. All right. Should I uh, give you the news headlines? I suppose you shall. All right, fine. Okay, here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. A brazen thief found all he needed was a blue t-shirt to steal over $16,000 worth of iPhones from an Apple store in Manhattan. And a crafty plan to give FBI warrantless access to browser histories has been cut off. At least for now. And Microsoft is making a major purchase. They're buying LinkedIn for an insane, absolutely insane amount of money. India has refused Google access to taking Street View images of their country. And more than 32 million Twitter account passwords have been posted online. We've got the story and some suggestions on how you might protect yourself if one of those online accounts is ever compromised. And a fun little fact, I'm going to give you the two most used passwords Mm. from that massive hack. The second one blows my mind. Anyway, stick around. Full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us tonight. It's episode number 456 of Category 5 Technology TV. Hard to believe, come October, uh, we're already preparing for the rollover to season 10. That's wild. Here we are. We're in the uh, kind of the bottom end of, uh, of season 9. We're about three-quarters of the way through kind mm-hmm. of idea, and uh, already getting ready for season 10. That's and wild. episode 500 as well is coming up. That's huge. And then we've got our 10th anniversary. It is huge. Wow. And here we are in our beautiful studio, Studio D in South Barrie, Ontario. Uh, beautiful city uh, here, just about 45, 50 minutes north of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, if you ever want to come and join us, we've got audience seating here in Studio D for about 10 people. Yep. And it's comfortable. We always have coffee on. And uh, it'd be a great time for you to come and join us. So just go to our website, category5.tv. There's a big button on the right-hand side that says Request Tickets. And hey, just like the show... It's absolutely free. Except the travel. you got to pay yeah, for the travel. Yeah, you have to fly. We won't pay for your flight. Yeah. We, well, won't, we won't pay for your hotel. I did hear that there's some really cheap flights between Canada and the UK. There you go. So like if you're in the UK, bucks. 150 bucks to come see Category 5 TV live. Totally worth it. Spend the week. We'll go out for wings. You can maybe even touch his shirt. You can touch my shirt. I didn't say you could touch my shirt. Yeah, but I didn't have to pay for a flight, so that Very well, very well. 
Big seller on our website this week is uh, the brand new SJX302CW. Emphasis on the W. It's a, a drone that you can get at cat5.tv slash fly. Mm-hmm. Can we talk just briefly about this particular drone? Yes. Okay. So the SJX300, first of all, comes in red mm-hmm. and white, of course, mm-hmm. like the traditional drone color. Uh, but coming in red, and it has FPV, so first-person view. So it transmits from the drone to your cell phone, your smartphone, your iPod Touch, yep. and allows you to see FPV video in real time, near real time, on your display. Uh, so then you can frame your shots and, and just enjoy the, the first-person view flight. It also has one key return. So it's not oh. GPS-based. It's a very, very affordable drone. Uh, it's not GPS-based. It is radio frequency-based. Right. So it knows where it took off from, and it will return to approximately the same spot hmm. on, on the cheap. Here's the kicker. It also includes headless mode. It's the latest and greatest thing in drones. When you're flying a drone, you've got the forward and back motion. Yes. And it can get really confusing if it's sideways. Because right. now, forward and back is actually my left, my right. Right, right and left is forward and, and back. back. So it, gets, it can get kind of confusing, especially when you're a novice. Because if you get turned around, well, which way's right, which way's left? Yes. So with headless mode, it doesn't matter. That's amazing. It forgets. It doesn't know. It doesn't care what is forward and back. So if I say go forward, it goes forward. If I say go back, it goes back. It doesn't matter the orientation of the drone. That's mm. headless mode, and that's available on this uh, the new SJX302CW. The emphasis on the W is because it has the Wi-Fi built into the right. camera. That is what gives it uh, connection to your smartphone. And that's the one that... I bought right. It, it's been selling like well, hotcakes. Well, not that one, but the the the, the one yeah, on our yeah. website. Yeah, cat, yeah okay. Cat five TV slash fly. Look for the red one, and uh, yeah, it's been selling like crazy. As soon as we posted it on Twitter, we're just like, it's amazing how many yeah. people have have purchased it, and that makes a huge difference for category sure. five TV. Absolutely does. Every time you purchase something through one of our partner links, and that's exactly what cat five TV slash fly does. Is it gives you some of the things that we recommend and we love, and uh, by purchasing it through those links, you're supporting the show. And because so many people have bought this drone so far this week, it's really making a big impact on our month's expenses. So Thank we you. really really appreciate that. And it was on sale this week. Is it still on sale? Oh, yes. It's still want, on sale. Should we even mention it? I'm gonna. If it ends tomorrow, I'll feel really bad. Well, okay. So if you're watching it, the show live right now. If you're live, go buy the drone. The price is incredible. If you're watching this three weeks from now, check the website to see if the deal's still there. <laughs> it has FPV. It's got one key return. It's got headless mode. It's got a really wicked controller <laughs> with everything from beginner flight mode to super insane speed. And they're priced at $35. Yeah, it was cheaper than my teeny drone. $35. Now, the kicker is that it comes from GearBest, so you, right. pay, you pay for the shipping, right. and it takes some time to get to you because it's probably coming from China. But the fact is is that um, when you factor it all in, all the features and everything, the price is astounding. Even with that shipping and handling, it's incredible. Right. So. Well, I think Sasha and I bought one. Did you? Yeah. Awesome. So, so we're going to race. Yeah, so we, I got one. we both decided we were going to get one, and so we did the joint shipping, so it was a little bit cheaper in the end. Oh, yeah. So in the end, it was like 60 bucks for the drone. drone total. After shipping. And, After shipping yeah. and taxes. Now, did you get the insurance on the shipping? I, I did not. I opted for it because um, shipping to Canada, when you add the insurance, it also takes care of your duty, import tax fees, and things like oh, that. Oh, see, I didn't know that. So it would be interesting to note, because we've both done it a little bit differently. Yes. If you get hit with duty, duty at the border, don't want to get hit with duty, people. Definitely don't want to get hit with duty or duty. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll have to find out. It, it's supposed to be here within six to eight days, and that was mid last week. That I, I don't know. We'll see. I think that they ship it in six to eight days. It said arrival six to eight. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that would be exciting. So, we'll see. I don't believe it though. I don't believe it. We'll see. We'll see. 
But get on over to cat5.tv slash fly. And speaking of awesome ways to support us, check out patreon.com slash category5. It's another great way to support us. With that, you can give as little as 25 cents per episode. If you love what we do here at Category 5 Technology TV, throw us a quarter. It's 25 cents. It's like per month you're paying the cost of a cup of coffee, maybe a little less. Yep. And it makes a difference because there's power in numbers. So if we have, you know, the ultimate end game goal is to have about a thousand people giving 25 cents each and that will pay our rent every single month. Would be Studio amazing. D will be covered. And as that's covered, then we can, any advertising revenue from the ads that you click on or the things that you buy through our partner links, all that revenue can go toward making the shows better and better. You know, if we get a million Patreons, I say the one, <laughs> mil- the one millionth will pay for your flight to come watch the show. <laughs> I think it would happen before that point, Jeff. Do the math, my friend. I am. Do the math. I'm just trying to encourage people, you know? You know? Somebody's like, hey, I want to be one million. Head on over to patreon.com slash category five. Hey, if you're number 75, I'll be very, very thankful for all that you do for us. Uh, And thank you to those who are standing by us, supporting us. And there are those who have just simply gone to the tip jar. They don't want to commit to a regular recurring payment and just go to the tip jar and throw us, you know, 20 pounds here and there. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That makes a huge difference as well. And we don't ever see it coming. So we don't even budget for it we don't even plan for it and then that arrives and we say you know what man that helped us out absolutely so thank you very very much for all of your support of category 5 tv and just a reminder that we're all volunteers here and uh you know maybe one day that'll change but at this point we do what we do just for the for the love of broadcast and for the love of sharing free information with the world and with you and giving you good free family friendly broadcasting that's what it's all about. We do not cuss and swear here. So that is true. It's, that's important, I think, when yeah. it comes to you know, webcasting. We're not governed by the CRTC or anything like that. So you do encounter some broadcasts that are inappropriate or mm-hmm. you, know, you, you might not want to sit down with your kids. And we don't want that here. So thanks, everybody. All right, we've got to take a really quick break. And uh, we will be right back with uh, a logical volume management and how to resize our LVM uh, volume right after this. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? You need hosting. One of the things about a hosting account is you don't want to have limitations put on your website. It's true. How much hard drive space do you have? How many email accounts? How many domains can point to it? Well, we've got an amazing deal for you. For a very limited time, cat5.tv slash dreamhost. For just $5 and a bit of change per month, you are going to get unlimited website hosting, unlimited email accounts on that hosting uh, service. You are also going to receive a free domain name. So your own .com. Nice. To put that amazing website that you've been working on it's on true. there. If you run, if you want to build a WordPress site, fine. Sign up. Cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Just don't put Panama Papers on it. Just don't do it. But hey, uh, it's a great deal, folks. Best deal you're going to find. $5 and change per month. Go to cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. Jeff Weston. All right, we are going to get into some Linux geekery here, Jeff. Yes. Are you up for it? I'm totally up for it. Last week, a little recap for you. Last week, we installed Ubuntu Mate, but this time we did something a little bit different. We opted, we opted for LVM during the installation process. So that means right. when Ubuntu Mate was installed, it was installed using logical volume management. I mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again. If you don't know what it is, hey, turn it on anyways. It does you no harm, and it's something that when you learn about it, which you're going to do tonight, when you learn about it, you're never going to regret having it. But you will regret if you have a full operating system, you've got it set up the way that you want, and you decide, oh, I really wish I had LVM. Because then you've got to go through the process of reinstallation, and and it can be done without that. But realistically, 
let's just get it from the gate. So go back to episode number 455, and that's going to show you how we installed Ubuntu Mate, which is the Linux operating system that we're featuring uh, over the past several weeks. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. Ubuntu is based on Debian. I love Debian. Uh, but uh, Ubuntu is well-maintained. It's commercially supported by Canonical, and it's a fantastic distribution of Linux. Now, Ubuntu Mate is a flavor of Ubuntu that has the old traditional-style interface. Yes, so it's it's the way Linux used to be. Uh, we spoke with Martin Wimpress, one of the developers and the founder of Ubuntu Mate, and uh, you can check out that episode on Category 5 TV, one of our back episodes as well. But we talked about it, and... Ubuntu Mate is just simply a great operating system for your older computers and a great operating system for your modern computers. Jeff's been building a new modern computer. You're going to throw Ubuntu Mate on that as well, and it's going to be screaming fast. Which is why I love that we are doing this LVM, because I'm going to be doing this. Absolutely. And so it's good to put it into practice. So we chose Ubuntu Mate because universally it is probably one of the best right now in my opinion uh, that you know it's the best of all worlds and i am old school i'll admit it i like the old style interface of linux you know back in the ubuntu um you know the the early days 8.04 say you know back in the the days where it was gnome 2.5 wow that is going back yep so, hey, let us know what you think, but uh, tune in t- to last week's episode to learn more about that. That's our recap. Why we did LVM is because we want to set up the ability to create um, LVM snapshots. Mm-hmm. We're going to learn all about those tonight. But the problem that we encountered, the problem that we found when we went through the Ubuntu Mate installation, it's not really a problem, but I wanted you to see how this happens. It fills the entire drive. Right. Your hard drive is used in its entire capacity to the logical volume which houses Ubuntu Mate. Mm-hmm. It's called, it was, what was it? Ubuntu-Mate-VG slash root. And you remember, it was, it was the full capacity of my drive. Right. So that left no room at the end of my drive. Why does that matter? Okay, so think about the nature of backups. Traditionally... A backup is basically a copy of your files, right? right. Yep. So you've got your operating system and you have a backup tool that then grabs the files from the operating system and copies them to separate media. So that could be an external hard drive. It could be an off-site service. It could be uh, an internal hard drive that you swap every now and again. It could be any one of those things or more. But the fact is, is that you're copying from an active file system. Right. So you encountered it in Microsoft Windows way back in the day when you used to use that ancient thing. And if you had Outlook open and you tried to copy your PST file, it would say sharing violation. If you had a Word document opened and you tried to copy it and do a backup, it would say there was a sharing violation. Well, along comes Windows uh, Volume Shadow Copy, and that did away with that problem because it created basically a snapshot image of the operating system so that you could copy files on the fly. Mm-hmm. Now, Windows allows you to back up files as long as you're using Volume Shadow Copy, even though the files are in use. Right. And that's a big deal because your operating system leaves files loaded in memory for speed reasons and you know these days we've got 16 gigs 32 gigs of ram so it's going to load a lot of those commonly used files into memory and leave them there so that they're very very fast it's all a part of the strategy to make a fast operating system so they're always in use how do you back them up so on linux we used to use a program called hot copy and that used kernel implementation Mm -hmm. to allow us to create snapshots of our linux uh, file system That's done away with with the modern kernel, no longer works, and so uh, we need an alternative, and that's where LVM comes in. So LVM is basically, if you're familiar with Windows Volume Shadow Copy, it's the Linux alternative to, now LVM itself is not, I should say LVM Snapshots is the Linux alternative to Windows Volume Shadow Copy. It allows you to copy files that are in use. Why does it matter? Linux is an amazing uh, server operating system. 
Yes. We probably, you know, if you have a website or if you have a, a web server of some sort or a home server, you've got MySQL running as a great example. So that database is always moving files around and saving changes to the database and logging things to the database, which is technically a file on the hard drive or in RAM in, in the temporary sense. And so if it's always running, you have to turn off MySQL in order to back it up. That's the traditional way. Now, that'll take your website down. Take your website down, take your services down, which isn't a big deal if it's a home server and you have a cron job that's running at midnight every night or 3 a.m. when you're sleeping, and so you can allow those kinds of things to happen. But you're right. When it comes to a web server... You don't want to drop that. I never want to have downtime. I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in always having the servers up. Mm-hmm. Another great example that we've used is virtualization. We've talked about VirtualBox, for example, and virtual machines that run as servers in your computer. Mm -hmm. So you've got your main operating system running Linux, presumably, and then you've got virtual machines running Windows and running other Linux distros and different server things and running as a virtual machine. Well, in order to back those up, are you going to shut down no, the guest of machine? Not. No, of course not, he says. With LVM snapshots, we can now run backups of that machine while it runs. So I, I've got to talk a lot tonight, folks, and I apologize. Usually we just, you know, it's more show than tell. But tonight we need to understand how snapshots work from a non-technical perspective. So I'm doing this on purpose so that it, it makes sense. But imagine your virtual machine is running on the computer and as things are happening in that virtual machine, the file, the VMDK or the VDI, the virtual hard drive file is being changed. Right. So if you are backing up that file and it's, say, 60 gigs, it's going to take some time. So as it changes, the file is being copied and it, you're getting inconsistencies in that file because the file changed while it's being copied, being backed up. That's a big problem when it comes to your backups because then you try to fire that thing up and it won't boot. There's something wrong with the file system. Right. So with a snapshot, of an LVM snapshot, what it does is it takes unallocated space on your logical volume and uses it to store temporarily the changes that are made to all of your files in the volume, in, okay. in the logical volume. So... If I, for example, create an LVM snapshot of the drive that has virtual machines on it, that snapshot is now stored in a, an empty space of my, L, my logical volume group, which we learned about last week on episode 455. Mm-hmm. So now I can safely copy from my hard drive the virtual machine in a frozen state. Okay. Now, do you need a larger hard drive space for that? Not necessarily a larger hard drive space, but you do need unallocated space, right. space that okay. is not currently used. So what happens is, is now as the virtual machine is being copied to another piece of media, the changes that are occurring are not happening to the copy, the snapshot. And it's not a copy. The snapshot itself is not a copy. The snapshot stores now temporarily the changes that are being made. So the changes that used to be that in the old paradigm would have been made to the VDI file right. are now being made on the LVM snapshot. So now I can safely oh, copy okay. the file. The file is not changing, but the, the virtual machine or the MySQL server continues to run, and the changes of those things continue to take place, but they happen in the... Uh, 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 well, they happen in such a way that your snapshot itself is not touched. The changes are saved there. And then, so then once your backup's done, then the changes are applied to the files. Exactly. That is a smart way of doing it. In, in real time. There's no downtime. There's no waiting for things to transfer around. There's no waiting. You're not making a copy of the huh. virtual machine into a snapshot and so on. So the other advantage to this is because the LVM snapshot is only saving the changes during the time that you are using the snapshot, so the amount of time, if it takes 10 minutes to copy the virtual machine, yep. you basically have to have an LVM snapshot that is big enough to store not the virtual machine, but just 10 minutes of the changes, the changes to the virtual machine. Okay? So all it's those little tiny bits it. of changes. So now that we understand how LVM snapshots work from a kind of a lay standpoint... Yep. 
we can understand why when Ubuntu Mate created the LVM volume group and then created the logical volume within that volume group for the operating system, it was called root, when it filled the entire logical volume, now we have no space within the logical volume group to allocate to the snapshots. Okay? Oh, so there's nowhere there's nowhere left to store that temporary transient, you know, changes that data that's going to be going through that system. Right. So tonight we're going to learn right now how to reallocate some space so that we have room for those snapshots. So we're going to go back to our Ubuntu Mate installation uh, CD or USB media that we downloaded from Ubuntu-Mate, spelt mate, M-A-T-E, dot mm-hmm. org. And with that media in our computer, so we've already got the operating system installed. Now we're going to boot right back up into that computer, and we're going to basically go through and, uh, well, we want to go try Ubuntu Mate without installing. That's what we're looking for. It may or may not look exactly like what, the, you know, the menu that I have there. Sometimes it's a GUI where you click on Try Ubuntu Mate. But let's, uh, let's boot that up. So the reason that we're doing that is we need to be working on an unmounted file system. So our only downtime is going to be that initial stage where we have to shut down the machine so that we can boot from the installation media again. And this time, we're not going to install Ubuntu Mate. It's already installed. This time, what we're going to do is we're going to use the tools that are provided within that boot CD uh, to be able to uh, resize our LVM logical volume. Okay. Now, there was a question in the chat room. Dooley DeVulcan just wants to get a handle on this. So he's mm-hmm. saying, so the backup would be behind possibly for a very small period of time, only while everything is being changed during the backup. Correct? Correct. Okay. So your backup will be the point, of, uh, the point in time when the snapshot was made. So typically, uh, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit deeper, but typically when you would create the LVM snapshot, you start your backup process and then you remove the LVM snapshot. Right. So that then the next time you do your backup, you're creating a new LVM snapshot. You're not using the LVM snapshot from the week before. Right. Which would be, you know, massive and probably full by this point. Yes. Um, but what we're actually going to do is remove that LVM snapshot to apply the changes to the disk and then continue on with our day. I'm excited. All right. So I have finished booting into Ubuntu Mate. This is the boot media. So this is not the installed operating system on my computer, but I'm, boot- I'm booted into it on the same computer that currently has Ubuntu Mate installed with LVM. You'll see that this, because I'm booted from the ISO, uh, it offers me the ability to install. We don't want to do that because that would overwrite our hard drive. So now what we're going to do, well, first of all, let's, let's jump into GPartEd, which is con- uh, contained within the Ubuntu Mate installation media uh, in the live mode. And just all this to show you that, that that LVM volume, so here it is, that's 39.49 gigabytes on my system. And there's no, there's no extra space at the end, nothing to write home about. It's what is... The extra space at the end. One, one, meg. one megabyte. <laughs> Could you imagine? Not big enough, folks. <laughs> no. So the temptation is to use it to say, okay, GParted, let's right-click and resize move. But you'll notice with an LVM, you can't actually, I can't actually drag that. I could, I could maybe use the new size here and give myself an extra, how much is it going to give me? 32 megabytes. <laughs> that's not going to go far. Not the way to do it. Okay, no. so that's actually uh, to use GParted in this because remember we're using logical volume groups. We're not using um, a typical file allocation tables. So you don't want to use GParted because you may in fact actually break your installed uh, LVM. So instead, we're going to use take a guess provided LVM tools. Okay, so they're all included Perfect. on the disk. We're not going to use uh, GParted at all, but that just allows me to show you in a graphic that this is actually using up the entire uh, hard drive, and I have no space left over. A meg. Not enough. Okay, so let's jump into our terminal. So in Ubuntu Mate's boot disk, it's ex- uh, Applications, System Tools, Mate Terminal. Okay, and from there, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to show you once again sudo lv display. Whoa, if I could spell properly and talk. 
All right, so here's our logical volume group, uh, the logical volumes within the group. So we've got the root. Um, this is the actual file system of Ubuntu Mate, and it is 38.49 gigabytes. Okay. Then if we go down a little bit, we also have a swap uh, in our LVM, and that is one gigabyte. So here's the one, this um, Ubuntu Mate dash VG slash root this is the one that we actually want to resize and we're not using a lot of space on our computer and your computer probably has a much larger hard drive than what we're using for the sake of our demonstration if you've got a uh, several hundred gigs worth of room then it's easy for you to allocate some space so we just have to make the decision okay how much space are we going to commit to our logical volume snapshots now, is there is there kind of like an algorithm Based on if this is the size of your hard drive, this is how much it's been it used. No, it really no, no. It's not a percentage or anything no. like that. Because and the reason being is you just have to think about okay, how long is it going to take to back up this data, right. and how many how much data is going to realistically be written to the drive during that snapshot period. You probably don't want to be copying video files to the hard drive during an LVM snapshot because it's going to be saving those to the snapshot and using up a lot more space than right. normal. But for regular everyday use, you say, okay, you know what? Probably 10 gigs is going to give me more than enough space for all of the changes. Like, that's ridiculous. I would hope so. I would think 500 megs would probably do it. But I like to err on the side of, you know what? We've got lots of space to work with. Let's give ourselves 10 gigs, and that way we're, we're safe. Right. I'm never going to run out and max out my LVM snapshot. But you have to make that decision yourself. And it's really based on how much data do you think is going to be written to the drive during the snapshot process and the backup itself. And most backups don't take that long. That's true. When you get into really large backups, it can take a while. When you get into those virtual machines and the VDI yeah. files and if you're tarring them and things like that. But realistically, you want to be, we'll talk about, uh, in a future episode, we'll talk more about uh, like RDIF backup, for example, where your first backup takes a long time, but then your subsequent backups are strictly the bit-for-bit changes. changes. Right. So if I make changes to my virtual machine VDI file, it will only back up those changes, not right. the entire file. Yeah. That's a really cool thing that Linux is able to do, and that's part of this series as well. We're not covering RDIF backup tonight, but that's the next logical step when it comes to uh, LVM snapshots. That's something that we're going to be looking at. Okay, so we know the size of our current logical volumes, uh, and uh, what we need to do next is resize that so that we have that 10 gigs allocated. And that's what we're going to be covering in just a couple of minutes' time. We're going to be resizing that, getting our LVM snapshot all ready to go, and then we're going to be uh, actually creating our very first backup, Ooh. just virtually, just so that you can see how this actually works. All right, but in the meantime, we've got to jump into the news, and then after the news, yeah. we're going to get right back into LVM snapshots and everything that we're learning here tonight. Okay. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2016, and here are the stories we're covering this week. A brazen thief found all he needed was a blue T-shirt to steal over $16,000 worth of iPhones from an Apple store in Manhattan. A crafty plan to give FBI warrantless access to browser histories has been ixnayed, but only for a little bit. Uh, Microsoft is buying LinkedIn for an insane amount of money. India is refusing Google access to taking Street View images of the country. And more than 32 million Twitter account passwords have been posted online. Now we've got the story and some suggestions on how you might protect yourself if uh, your account is compromised. Don't go anywhere. These stories are coming right up. Now here's another great way you can support the shows you love from the Category5.tv network by shopping at GearBest. That's right, Jeff. Uh, Cat5.tv slash GearBest. It's an online store for the geek streak in you. Or the loved ones. Well, of course. I mean, especially your loved ones, right? Uh, because Cat5.tv slash GearBest, quite frankly, has all of the greatest tech gifts that you could ever hope for at rock-bottom prices. Do they have cell phones? You betcha. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has a wide assortment of unlocked Android cell phones and tablets. What about uh, consumer electronics? Those make a great gift. Absolutely. From high-tech watches to action cameras, headphones, even virtual reality headsets. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has you covered. They literally have it all, Jeff. Literally. Really? It's like a superstore right from the comfort of your own chair at your computer through the interweb. 
Yeah. I, there's no way they have it all. It's true. It's just a bunch of ele- uh, random electronics. Test me. Um, what about clothes? Yep. Both men and women, fashionable apparel at rock bottom, super duper prices. Kind of like this. Well, look at this coat. What do you think? It's a slimming mock leather jacket. I love it. It's available for less than $30 plus free shipping at cap5.tv slash gear best. All right. You kind of got me there. Wow. Any other questions for me, Jeff? Uh, now that the winter has passed, flying season. Do they have any good deals on, say, drone copters? Oh, my goodness. Well, check this out. Dude, they have everything. Check out over 500 various drones. And not only that, they're available marked down by about 30 to up to 63% off the regular price. Love it. What's the website again? Well, you're going to find GearBest on our partners' pages for any of your favorite Category 5 TV shows like New Every Day, Category 5 Technology TV, The Pixel Shadow. Uh, But, of course, if you want to shop absolutely right now and you want to go straight to the site, all you have to do is visit cat5.tv slash GearBest. See, that's easy. cat5.tv slash GearBest. That's right. Happy shopping. I'm Jeff Weston, and here are the top stories from the Category5.tv newsroom. A thief in New York City was able to lift more than $16,000 worth of Apple merchandise by dressing up as a store employee. The brazen thief walked into the Soho Apple store located around uh, around 5.30 p.m. on June 1st and took 19 iPhones from the store, and he wasn't detected. His clever disguise was a blue shirt that police say was similar to the uniform worn by Apple's retail store workers. We're told that the thief was able to pass with, uh, as an employee long enough to be able to walk through the store into a repair room where he accessed a drawer containing the iPhones. He then passed off the plundered handsets to an accomplice who stuffed them under his shirt. Both of them exited the store without being stopped by security. The stolen iPhones have been valued at $16,130 US in total, and the police are investigating the theft. You think? <laughs> Wowzers. If they weren't, I'd be a little bit distraught. I'd be, I'd be all like, it took a blue shirt? Yeah. You need to, okay, uh, Apple, you need to rethink your entire strategy, and you've got to get your staff wearing this shirt. Yes. So that basically it cannot be replicated. It is true. A blue shirt. Wow. Too easy. That is one simple disguise right there. <laughs> right. A sly attempt to grant the FBI warrantless access to people's browser histories in the U.S. has been shot down by politicians. Unfortunately, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, otherwise known as ECPA, uh, the Amendments Act of 2015, which would have brought in some privacy safeguards for Americans, was caught down in the crossfire. The ECPA Amendments Act is very simple. It amends the 1986 Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which gives uh, police and uh, agents warrantless access to any email that's been read or is more than 180 days old. The 30-year-old act made sense back in the day of 20 megabits uh, for hard drive space, but we're now storing our emails. That was when we were storing them on our own computers. Now we're doing them like on clouds, so it's stored somewhere else. So you really don't quite have the control of the information, uh, which has caused a bit of a privacy nightmare. The ECPA Amendments Act of 2015 would have eliminated the 180-day rule and ensures that investigators get a warrant for contents of emails. Now, in a stunning display of bipartisanship, the House of Representatives voted unanimously for their version of the updated law, the Email Privacy Act, uh, in April. Uh, The president gave it his full backing, and the ECPA Amendments Act was expected to therefore breeze through the Senate and into the law books. But now it's been put on hold by the sponsors. And the reason for that is one amendment that was tacked on by Senator John Cornyn last Tuesday that would allow the FBI to obtain someone's internet browsing history and the metadata of all their internet use without a warrant. So now the bill is going to remain on standby while the politicians argue over this single amendment. In the meantime... Clean up your inboxes. Jeff, why, why does the FBI even need such a thing when they have Windows 10? Uh, <laughs> Just putting that out there. Just putting that out maybe there. Maybe because Microsoft to try and block them? I don't know. Don't know. 
Speaking of Microsoft, uh, Microsoft and LinkedIn announced yesterday that they have entered into a definitive agreement under which Microsoft will acquire LinkedIn for $196 per share in an all-cash transaction valued at, get this, $26.2 billion. That's inclusive of LinkedIn's net cash. LinkedIn will retain its distinct brand, culture, and independence. Jeff Weiner, is that seriously his last name? I would probably say Weiner. Weiner? <laughs> but we'll, we'll call him Weiner tonight. <laughs> Jeff Weiner will remain the CEO of LinkedIn, reporting to, to Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. Reid Hoffman, chairman of the board and co-founder and controlling shareholder of LinkedIn, and Weiner both fully support this transaction, uh, which is expected to close near the end of the calendar year. Now, LinkedIn is the world's largest and most valuable professional network and continues to build a strong and growing business. Over the past year, the company has launched a new version of its mobile app that has led to increased member engagement, enhancing the LinkedIn newsfeed to better uh, deliver business insights and acquired the leading online platform, lynda.com. And they rolled out a new version of its recruiter product to its uh, enterprise customers. Now, these innovations have resulted in an increased membership, engagement, and financial results. Microsoft will finance the purchase primarily through the issuance of new indebtedness. Upon closing, Microsoft expects LinkedIn financials to be reported as part of Microsoft's productivity and business processes segment. The transaction has been unanimously approved by both boards uh, of LinkedIn and Microsoft, and the deal is expected to close this calendar year, subject to the approval of LinkedIn shareholders, the satisfaction of certain regulatory approvals, and other customary closing conditions. Legal, 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 legal. Is there anything that Microsoft isn't trying to get their hands on? You know, you would think that right away, but then you think, okay, what other social networks are left? Facebook. But Facebook is a giant in and of themselves. Yes. I mean social networks that could be bought. Twitter? Who owns Twitter? Twitter does. Twitter, yeah. You've got uh, Snapchat, Yeah. Uh, Pinterest. Well, Snapchat is on the up and up for sure. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just makes sense that being that they're pushing and driving toward the cloud, that they need to be more socially. Like, what has Microsoft ever done? They've created racist AI. That's true. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> but really, what have they ever done as far as social media goes? They haven't done anything, really. Like, their competition became Google? A search engine? I get well. They kind of responded to Google with Bing. Did they? Did well, they really? Not really. <laughs> it, was, it was like a mosquito off a windshield. It was a pathetic attempt, but it was something. My mother-in-law uses Bing. Does she know? I think it's because she doesn't know how to change it. Oh, that could be. The I, pictures are pretty. Yeah. Sometimes. I, I like Google's animations. They always celebrate something fun. There you go. Bing is just Microsoft-centric. Yep. Yep. Okay. India has rejected Google's plans to collect images for its street viewer service uh, with objections from the security agencies and government officials. They raised concerns that the service would compromise the country's security. Google Street View collects high-definition images to give its users a 360-degree views of streets, tour spots, hills, and rivers. Google's data collection has caused concern in numerous countries, and the Press Trust of India agency reported that India's Interior Ministry has informed Google that, it plans to cover, that its plans to cover India through the service has been rejected. The concern about allowing such image-capturing services stems from the belief that uh, planning for the 2008 Mumbai attacks is believed to have involved photographic reconnaissance of targets by a man in the U.S. The Google Street View service, which launched in May 2007, has been hugely successful, but has caused problems of privacy in some countries. In 2010, for example, almost 250,000 Germans told Google to blur their homes on the Street View service, an option which is really available to anyone. And further, the Czech government also banned Google from taking any new photos of the, for the service. A spokesman for Google told the BBC that they had not yet received a copy of the order as yet. When I first heard this story, I did not think interior security. Mm -hmm. The first thought that I actually had was economic impact. Because... India right now is trying to promote itself as like the tech center of the universe. Hmm. And so if Google 
drives around and takes pictures of the less fortunate right. areas, mm-hmm. it sets a very different picture of India. Sure. That's where my thought went first. And then I'm going, oh, security? Oh, okay. I guess I can see that. I thought it was purely economical at first. Mm-hmm. Interesting point. It could be many things. It's possible. I think it's definitely, I mean, it's the, it's the way the world is now, right? Like you you go on to Google Street View and if it's not Google Street View, it's going to be someone else. But they're well, the exactly. ones probably uh, that have done the most work toward sure. that kind of imagery. But. But, but how do you block that? Like, how do you say, sorry, you can't take a picture? I, I don't know. It just, I don't know. I just post don't your know. comments. Post your comments <laughs> below, folks. Yes. Please do. All right. Yet another security outfit is reporting that millions of stolen passwords, this time for Twitter accounts, are floating around the dark side of the internet. Should you be worried is the big question. In truth, it's kind of hard to say, though. It's rapidly emerging as the latest dilemma for digital life. The website Leaked Source said it received a cache of Twitter data that contains 32 million records, including passwords. Twitter said that its systems haven't been breached, and LeakSource said the passwords were most likely collected over time by malware-infected browsers that sent hacked passwords. Um, In a blog post Friday, Twitter's Trust and Information Security Officer Michael Coates said that as a result of their investigation, some of the accounts were flagged for extra protection. He said in the post, accounts with direct password exposure were locked and require a password reset by the account owner. This particular data set contains a large number of credentials associated with Russian email addresses, suggesting that the malware may have been more prevalent there. The best way to protect yourself is making sure that you're not reusing passwords across accounts. That way, a breach of, say, your Twitter password won't also put your bank account at risk. It's a good idea to change passwords regularly, which of course is much more difficult if you're using unique passwords for every account. The password managers can help. These programs will generate random passwords for your accounts, store them in a central encryption protected vault, and autofill them on websites uh, such as mobile apps. Now, Leaked Source also sent out some information uh, today about the two most commonly used passwords. Really? Yes. The passwords. So they've aggregated all these hacked passwords. Yes. All right. Yeah. The most number one used password. Over 1,100 different sites. One, two, three, four, five, six. It would, that warrants a double face palm, Jeff. <laughs> the, the first thought when I heard one, two, three, four, five, six is I'm picturing space balls. What's your password? <laughs> one, <laughs> two. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, the second most used password, this one boggles my mind. Okay. Okay. Any guesses? Jesus. No. God. No. Potato. No. How about this one password, which is used 91,000 times okay. over 1,100 different sites? 18ATCSKD2W. What? <laughs> yes. What? The second most used password was 18ACT. No, ATC. S-K-D-2-W. Which was used 91,000 times. Is it, is it LEET or what is it? I, I have no clue. The best thing I can come up with is that it's from some sort of standardized password manager software. Do you think so? That's the only theory I can come up with. Does that mean anything to any of you? I, I can't <laughs> We've got a whole how- bunch of viewers here. That's my password. I can't see how 91,000 passwords. It sounds strong. It does, but it's used 91,000 times. What? So that puts it in a dictionary. Yeah, I just... That's nutty. Yeah. Absolutely so, nutty. Anyway, that's, uh, the, those are the two most used passwords. <laughs> Big thanks this week to Brett Austin, Roy W. Nash, and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us. If you found a news story that you'd like to send, email it to newsroom at category5.tv. For all your tech news with a very slight Linux bias... Check out Category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Jeff Weston. Thanks, Jeff. This is Category 5 Technology TV. You'll find us online, www.category5.tv. We realize that we're running short on time tonight. We're going to finish up our LVM feature, but really getting a lot of action in the chat room about this password thing and wondering. Now, you're mentioning 
What, what are yeah. your thoughts? So, okay. So the he's got first, some theories. Folks. The first theory I had was that it's, it's just a password that's, you know, is from some cryptic software where everybody's going, Oh, I'm putting in say Jesus and it okay. comes out and this is the encrypted version of it. And it gives you randomly generated, but everybody's using the same software and maybe that's oh, how you've got it. But the, like an obfuscation software. Right. But then the other theory I've got is what if it's related to a bot? There's some malware somewhere that's creating accounts, so it's trying to get access to a server, but mm. it's been programmed to generally create a secure password. Along that vein, what if, this, this is all theoretical and, and speculative, but what if there was some type of malware that co- was able to compromise these accounts, change their passwords, and the malware developer had created this password that seems strong to change all those passwords too so that he or she could access those accounts. So maybe those accounts have already been compromised by a phishing attack or something like that, had their passwords changed to this one generic password that Mm. only that malware developer knows. That would be interesting. And then the exploit, the subsequent exploit of all passwords Twitter that had gone through the system, however it was exploited, were revealed to be that password. But that... But you'd think that people would know at that point. Because you go to sign in and it goes, oh, your password's been changed. Yeah, but what... Unless it was just one... But what do you do at that point? I don't know. You'd change it back by using your email, but what if they changed your email? Well, but at that point, they would install some sort of Trojan. All speculative. It's really tough to know how something like that could even occur. But still, the fact that it that really is the doesn't number seem, two password. It doesn't seem real. Like, people did not go and set that as their password. Right. The only way I could see that is if it was some sort of password-generating software that everybody used the same thing. But if that's the case, then maybe they need to look at that software because maybe there's yeah. an issue there. What if? What Here, if we just cracked the internet mystery right now? Here's a theory that could lead to conspiracy theory. What if there is a mobile app? This is just off the top of my head, but it's genius. What if there's a mobile app that is a password logger generator, just like the the ones that we know and trust? Yep. And people go to Twitter and they use this password generator to generate their password thinking, oh, this is, oh, this is smart. This could be it. Right, because you put in your password. If, if the malware developer had created an app that were to, to call home and give them the actual user's password, they would be found out. So instead, they create an app that looks like it's generating a random password for that user's account, but instead, it's setting it to one that the malware developer knows. Right. So now, he knows, or she knows, that Every Twitter account that has been signed up for using my app now has this password. Oh, see, that would make sense. And, and if it's an app on, say, their phone, it would know all the apps that they've got. It knows Facebook, yes. all that kind of stuff. But because it's not calling home, it's instead doing the opposite. It's setting all the passwords to the exact same password. So now the, the, that malware developer, yes, is able to log into their Twitter accounts and their bank accounts thinking... But but nobody catches them because right. they don't realize that this random-looking password is not actually random. It's hard set. Wow. See, and that just Good plays theory. into the episode a few weeks ago where we interviewed the uh, the mobile security guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, blanking on his name. Um, but anyway, like, because he was talking about spy apps yes. that you could download. So mm-hmm. there you go. Could have been something like look that. At that. What Potentially do you think? right here on Cat5, we just solved... The issue. We burst this thing wide open, so comment below. Please share your thoughts. Do you think yeah. I'm right? Do you think I'm right? I actually think yours is probably the most plausible. That's freaking brilliant. That's amazing. Send checks, folks, because we know what we're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's that's you know, quite the theory, though. I gotta my say. mind is just spinning, and I'm going, i got to focus on LVM now. <laughs> yeah, to relax, That's right. we need That's to think good. about logical volume management. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. All right. Moving along. All righty. Well, let's get back to it, folks. Now that we understand how LVM snapshots work yes. from a lay standpoint, we understand that we need a little bit of space to save our snapshot data, too, as it changes. So now, the next logical step. We've booted from our Ubuntu Mate live CD or USB ISO, uh, burnt USB stick. Now we can use that to resize that logical volume. So here we are. Uh, We know that we've got this 38.49 gigabyte volume that we want to scale down. So we can do that safely using commands that are included in Linux. So we go sudo lv reduce. Pretty straightforward, right? Makes sense. So LV reduce dash dash resize FS for resize file system dash L. And we know that it is currently 38 gigs and change. So we said, you know, we could do um, an, uh, 10 gigs for our um, our snapshots. So let's say uh, 28G. Okay, so dash L 28G is going to now resize that to 28 gigs. All right, so we're giving ourselves a little more than 10 gigs. So then the device, um, the logical device, the logical volume, we need to tell it what we want to actually change. So we type slash dev slash Ubuntu mate, M-A-T-E dash VG slash root. And it wrapped to the next line. And I got that from this line right here. So to clarify with that line, people are... Uh, anybody who's going to be uh, typing that line is putting in the volume of free space they want after. So this is so the root logical volume yep. is basically our hard drive partition. Let's right. say okay, so it's taking up the most amount of space we can, and it has the operating system. But we know that the operating system is only using this much space. We've got all this extra space at the end. Right. So we can now resize that, or because you're looking at it from this end, uh, we resize that so that we free up 10 gigs on the end of the drive. Okay. okay. So is the 10 gigs for that logical volume or is the 10 gigs what's left over no the 10 gigs is going to be unallocated space in the logical volume group right okay but without a logical volume assigned to it so it does not have a logical volume in that space so it's unallocated so now basically our logical volume group has 10 gigs free at the end of the volume so that we can now assign our snapshots to that a little amount of space. So as simple as that command there, sudo LV reduce dash dash resize FS dash L 28 gigs. In our case, that's going to be different for you. Look at your hard drive. Look at the space that it is currently using. Uh, shave off as much as you need. So set it to, you know, if it's a 300 gig um, logical volume, you might make it just 290. Um, and then uh, the device itself, slash dev slash Ubuntu dash mate dash VG slash root and then hit enter. First of all, FSCK is our file system check, and it is going to make sure that there is no problem with the file system before it starts resizing it because we don't want to have any problems. Uh, if there were problems, it would fix them. If there aren't, like in my case, it simply spews out logical volume root successfully resized. So now, and you saw how quick that was, it might take a little bit more time if you do have some file system issues that need to be corrected. It's nothing to be concerned about, but uh, things like, you know, little tidbits of files that need to be moved around in order to free up some space. That's fine, but it may take a little longer for you, depending. So now let's go sudo lv display again. We learned that command on last week's show, episode 455, and you'll see that our root is now 28 gigs even okay so now we know that there is 10.49 gigs at the end of our drive that we can use so now we're going to shut down out of our um we've booted from the uh the live cd or the live media which we downloaded at ubuntu-mate.org and now we're going to shut it down now that we've resized everything okay right so now is the shutdown required or, or reboot and remove the media, but yeah. shutdown is you know making sure that now I can remove the the CD or the USB flash drive without any oh, problem. Oh, okay, right? gotcha. So it's not like you need to do a restart to set all that in place. No, because I want to now. See, I'm ready to boot into my operating system and do right. the do. Okay, right? I, it's ready. That's all it took. So simple. Now I'm just going to remove the uh, USB flash drive, and that's done and boot up my Ubuntu Mate system. So now I'm not booting off of the CD or the USB media. I'm actually booting from my hard drive itself. 
So here we go. We're booting into Ubuntu Mate, and you'll notice that there are no problems. It's not like it broke the file system or anything like that. Uh, it's checking the file system. That's fine. And now it's booting the operating system. So easy peasy. There it goes. So awesome. we're just booting up, and not no time at all, I guess. It's no. not going to take a whole lot of time. Pretty quick. It's just a black screen to you right now. There's a cursor. Move it around. It's about there the only cursor you see on the show. So we log in. And now that we've resized all that, let's let everything load up. This is, again, the same. This is the don't worry about any of that. That's just my system because I'm running on VirtualBox and need to update some drivers. No problem. You're not going to see that unless you're running VirtualBox as well. So this is Category 5 Technology TV. Tonight we're learning all about how to create LVM snapshots on our single drive, logical volume managed Linux system. So That's a mouthful. Very, very useful. Yeah, it is a mouthful. And I hope by now you understand what it all means. Uh, I'm going to go now into my terminal. So remember, we're not on the live CD anymore. Notice the desktop icons. Now we're actually on the computer. We're booted into the computer. Right. So now... If I type sudo LV display, we should notice, if all went well, and it did, uh, that our partition 